Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Lucy Chamberlain is my special guest taking your calls on everything from asparagus, tomatoes and yes, he said it was a lavender tree but he meant a lilac tree. We've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden plus my plant of the week and I'm on trees at the moment. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. This week's plant of the week is Ginkgo biloba, maidenhair tree. Now, interestingly, it's one of the few trees that um, we can spot and date back 270 million years. All other trees of this era are found in fossils. However, it's a native to China and can become absolutely huge. 20 metres high. Um, It's got a sort of angular shaped top. They're a funny shaped tree, quite narrow. Um, The leaves are unlobed, fan-shaped, thick green leaves. But what makes it up for it? The autumn colour. Lovely, bright yellow. And they all fall off within 15 days. That's it. Suddenly autumn, suddenly no leaves, 15 days. They're very resistant to disease and insects. They're deep-rooted and can deal um, with cities because they're very tolerant of pollution. And not only that, as I just said, they're a slender tree, so they're ideal in some of the cities. You see them a lot in American cities and also in Japan. So what else is important about them? They are male and female, and they need to cross-fertilise as well. Easy to grow from seed. The seeds are several um, Chinese sort of, um, well, they use Chinese remedies. However, none of them seem to be proven. Some would say it broadens the mind, allows the head to work better, but no proof of this at all. Others say that it helps when you've got high blood pressure. No proof on that either. So I'm just letting you know that if you eat the seeds, um, they're not always good for you. Uh, Most of the trees that we use in our own gardens are male cultivated ones and grafted onto plants propagated from seed. The reason for that is because they don't produce seeds, so they're not messy. Some of the most popular one is possibly autumn gold um, and then there are some other female ones that are popular as well, one called Santa Cruz and guess what, one called Golden Girl because it is the most yellow one in autumn. They plant them in any soil, they're very, very good although you mustn't put them in wet, wet soil because they won't survive any aspect interesting tree that can be trimmed to keep a reasonable size if you've got a smaller garden. So they are all soil areas, deep roots, won't cause too many problems and why not grow something that only found in fossils? Ginkgo biloba, no let's get it right, ginkgo biloba or maidenhair tree. Go on, spoil yourself. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Lucy Chamberlain is my guest here in the studio and we're talking gardening for the next hour. And you might think, 
Well, we've packed up gardening. Well, actually, gardening doesn't pack up at this time of the year, does it, Lucy? No way. I am so busy. <laughs> and I tell you, my forearms will testify to that because they're aching. <laughs> I was at the hall yesterday. Uh, doing, we're doing loads of pruning, uh, clearing, clearing up fallen leaves, lifting and dividing herbaceous perennials, planting bulbs, getting seed orders Just ready for next year. Just to name a few year. things. Lots and you lots see, of stuff. There's so much going on. <laughs> so give us a call now if you want to talk gardening. 0800 111. 4041. That's 0800 111 That's the number to call. I'm going to do be a bit different today because I had an email. Hmm. Um, I don't think you were here looking at the pictures, but it was fascinating that they a gentleman sent in John 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 McClellan sent in pictures of two tomatoes he was growing, and it was I think it was Gardener's Delight yep. or one of those was producing loads, thousands of flowers, but no fruit. Ah, OK. And next to it, his other tomatoes were producing fruit, no trouble at all. Yeah. So we discussed it. We said, you're a little early, be patient, all the usual things that we have to, that you think about when you're growing plants. Yeah. And we said, but more importantly, write to the company. He has. Thank you for, con this is the reply. Mm -hmm. Thank you for contacting us. I'm sorry to hear one of your plants didn't produce fruit. There can be a number of factors which can affect the performance of plants, including temperature, irregular watering, poor growing conditions, all the things that we said. Um, and if you are troubled with a lot, lots of lush foliage, you didn't have lots of lush foliage on your tomato plant, but can't seem to get any tomatoes, it may be due to poor lighting or watering. I don't think you had any trouble with any of that. It may just be a matter of bad luck with the plant, which is something, funny enough, that we said on air as well. I think it was Dave Gillen who was on the day we were doing it. Um, it can be frustrating. All your other plants seem to have produced well. I will organise a replacement seed packet to be sent to you uh, and sincerely hope you have better luck in well, the future. that's very nice. That's and good. And they are one of the main seed suppliers. I'm not going to say who they are, but they're mm. one of the main seed suppliers. And all seed companies should do that. Of course. But if you've got a problem, do you not think it's... I mean, the letter says what we said. Mm -hmm. There's no reason sometimes, is there? Do you know what? There isn't. Sometimes... It's very. If you do have a, a plant that's performing poorly or unusually, I always say to people, write to the seed company because sometimes you they, you do get a dud batch of seed. Um, and and it's not their fault other, necessarily, no, is it? No. Sometimes it's just something that you need to bring to their um, awareness. And if other customers are also finding that their plants are doing the same thing, then of course it lets the seed company know. Hang on, we've got a bad batch here. We need to address it. We need to clean them up maybe find another stockist for that that, that, that variety. Um, so you, it's up to us to communicate if we have problems with our seeds to go back to the company so they can address it. It sounds to me, though, Ken, like that, going back to the particular tomato, my, my parents were commercial That's right, they tomato grew them, growers. didn't they? We've grown them for decades, and I grow them at the hall where I work as well. Sometimes you just get a mutation within the plant, and it then performs poorly. I've had them sometimes where seedlings are really stunted, and it might be a virus or... Like this, this, this caller was saying, they get loads of growth, but not any any fruit yeah. setting, but loads of flowers. It could be, um, as I say, something within the seed, which is why it's definitely worth writing back to the seed company. It could be a virus. It could be a mutation. It mm. could be weak. Tomatoes are very sensitive to weak killer damage, so it could be that. And the most important thing is write to the company, because yeah. if they've got several complaints or exactly. queries, exactly. they can go back to where they were grown, because they're not always grown... 
in the UK, they're often grown abroad, exactly. they can be grown in Italy, they yeah, can be grown in Mexico, Spain, all sorts of countries. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it sounds like, again, if you know you're growing other plants in the same group, like other tomatoes nearby, and they're perfectly okay, it's nothing that you're doing, because obviously you can grow tomatoes okay, it definitely is a problem with the seed. So... Yeah, write to your seed companies. They're very, they're very amenable. They're very good. They want to help you out. They want you to order with them again. So, you know, please do so. I had a batch of um, Brussels sprouts that wouldn't germinate, whereas all my savoy cabbages <laughs> and strange. my cauliflowers yep. and my kale and my purple sprouting all germinated fine. And I know, so from that, I know it was actually something the within batch. the seed. And it just happens now and then. Mm. Yep. It does indeed. Talking of emails, uh, thank you again to, I think it, Yep, Carly Smith. Uh, she writes from Texas, and Texas. Uh, yeah, she's she's look she's been trying My to goodness. buy David Austin roses, and we said Texas with roses is a bit difficult. It's not the best thing. Mm-hmm. She's found some Texas superstars designated. They're a knockout rose attained this distinction. So she's going to try those. Yep. And she's going to send me a picture. Oh, and great. she's found the podcast is very useful. She listens to it and checks up on some of the tips that we're giving and uses some of that information even in Texas. So thank you again for that one. Lovely. That, num- been- oh, sorry, that, that number to call is 0800 111 That's what's fascinating is that the podcast goes around the world, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, BBC gardening in Essex is it's listened to everywhere. That's um, the wonderful thing about social media now, isn't it? That incredible. you can actually, as they say, reach out internationally, not just locally, right. but internationally, which is, I was speaking to someone on Twitter the other day and they were from New York. Mm. And it was just lovely, just thinking, as you say, you can reach out to the to whoever. Wherever, whoever, wherever. Exactly, wherever they are, yeah. yeah. Can you advise us, please, on what to put in our hanging baskets? This has come through on the text, 81333. Put Essex on the front. Uh, that's from Anne in Shubriness. What can she put in it um, apart from pansies? Oh. Actually, I don't use pansies in baskets because they actually don't perform as well as a viola, do they, I really? Do, I must admit, I lean towards the violas yeah. because I like the smaller flowers. I think they're... Uh, if you've got a mass of violas flowering, they can they can look so they're just so cheerful. I just love them. They they uplift you, and especially at this time of year when I was just saying to you before we came on there, I said November can be, I think the 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 dankest most depressing month. We have outside. had a couple of miserable days that we you wouldn't have. want to go out. Yeah, it's you? when it's because it's not cold enough to be dry. It still mm. is wet, and and the cold can then be quite penetrating. If you're outside like us gardening, and it's. Uh, dry but cold okay. actually that's fine. that's fine you can just put your layers on but when it's also wet it adds another layer of uh, of um yes of negativity to the whole experience so um anything that can boost your morale in november is definitely worthwhile so that's why i would go for violas um obviously things like uh, all the spring bulbs like the you know tete-a-tete narcissi um you could put some little species crocus in there uh, obviously evergreens um so you've got ivy uh, skimmias if you want some shrubs they you can you can use those in your baskets and then plant them out into the garden in the spring to grow on as more mature plants winter flowering heathers they are fantastic as a nectar source for uh bees and other uh, beneficial wildlife that's still out on the wing still foraging the food mm. sort things like um Ivy is a very important food source, also, isn't it, for for uh, bees that That's are right. still trying to forage for some kind of food source yeah. to get them through the winter. But yeah, winter heavers are fantastic as well. Yeah, so, uh, there's lots of things to put in other than pansies. <laughs> and 
bulbs. You, did you say bulbs? Yeah? I mentioned the tetotetnosis sign, yeah. which is the. Or you can put you can put crocus, snowdrop, yeah. any of those. Anemones, yeah. yeah. Scented narcissi. I've, I've just planted up a whole load of those to have in individual pots. Um, so they're they're outside at the moment on my my staging, and they're experiencing all the cold and the wet that the winter brings them. And as soon as they start flowering in February and March, I will bring them indoors, and they will fill my kitchen with them. It's glorious, glorious. So, it's like that. Some narcissi have a very sweet scent some are quite soapy but they're all very perfumed and gorgeous one of my favorite is cheerfulness i still like the, yeah. the perfume of cheerfulness because yeah. you get white and, and cream don't you those exactly. two yes they're lovely hyacinths yep oh all hyacinths. sorts all sorts right um where do you go? actually we will come back to bees because you mentioned bees and there's someone patrick's uh, rung in uh, sent a text about bees Text 81333, put Essex on the front. Phone number 0800 4041. Let's go to Eve in Angers Green. Hello, Eve. OK, and you know I had a little moan about tomato uh, germination. Well, ger- tomatoes, what the tomato produced. No tomatoes. Right. I had that earlier on in the year. Anyway, I did eventually write to the seed company. Ah, I've just said, read. I've just read out your. I thought it was John because it's on John's email, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, anyway. Oh, are uh, you? Hang on. Are you? Did you? Did you send me an email? No. Right. So you're someone else that obviously when we were discussing this, you actually came in as well then, because that's fascinating. I've just run, read out a response from the company over John's. Uh, he sent me pictures of it, you see. So, yes. So tell me more about your tomatoes then, Eve. Well, early in the year, I sort of had a moment about this. What these uh, gardeners delight that just did not produce anything. Yeah. Right, right. So I wrote, uh, there was uh, was about six or seven plants that just didn't. And so uh, I wrote to, I wrote to the company and they uh, sent me back two packets of seeds, one a cherry one and one, uh, I also Craig, another. uh, Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I reckon the the cherry, as there were only 10 seeds and there's uh, the cherry one, so I reckon whether they're, a fairly new one or quite an expensive one. So I thought that was sort of pretty decent of them. Yeah. When did What was their comment on why you was, hadn't got any fruit? Well, they're just sorry it didn't reach my expectations because I said oh. I'd been growing gardeners delight for quite, you know, a long while, so I mm-hmm. knew what to expect. And I also did mention that about a couple of years ago I'd bought a, another plant from a nursery and... Uh, that would, that did the same thing. So when these started doing what it was, I thought, hello, I've yeah. seen this before. <laughs> so what, do you know which one they sent you, which was the cherry? Was it one called Sweet Aperitif? Does that no. ring a bell? No, Sun... Oh, Sun, Sun Gold. Cher- Sun Cherry Smile. Ah, oh, right, yes, yeah, that's quite a modern one. So so Gardener's Delight is quite an old cherry tomato. It is tomato, quite now. But it's, it does Still stand a good one. the test of time. Mm. I know people that grow it year on year, including my parents. And um, But what can happen sometimes with the older varieties, because they've been in the trade for so long, the, sometimes they can get inferior quality stock weaving in, and then the company needs to go back and think, right, what is the classic gar- Gardener's Delight characteristic we need to reselect this variety to to get out any impurities um and that's sometimes what can happen with some of these more established varieties that have been around for a couple of decades yes because i have noticed that sometimes they had sort of slightly slightly varied to uh, what they yes yeah yeah i've always got a very good crop and of course i used 
I, I mean, I leave mine on the uh, plant in the greenhouse till uh, they're really ripe until yes. you know, yeah. they're there. And yeah. uh, when I want them, I go and get them. And people have commented on uh, how sweet my tomatoes were. Oh, lovely. Back to your calls, text and email shortly. But let's take a final look at the top tip that um, Lucy has got for us this week. I don't want to talk about the final cut for lawns because you mentioned that maybe now the lawn might be stopping in growth. It's nonsense. It will keep going through the winter, but it will slow down in growth. So the important thing to do if you need to cut your grass, try and obviously don't walk on it if it's frosted because that will leave marks. And if it's waterlogged, do try and keep off it if you possibly can. But if it's growing and you get a nice dry day, raise the height of your mower cup because you don't want to be scalping your grass at this time. You want to be just allowing it to grow that little bit longer and to make it look really sharp and crisp. Once you've done the cutting, always, always make those edges look nice and tripe. That's get, so important, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, get People those edges shears out. Oh, do you know what? A, a straight edge is the way to finish off a border or grass. It makes it look superb so get those edging shears out raise the height of the mower and uh, if you need to do any patching up maybe too late for sowing seed now but you can still lay turf as long as conditions aren't frosty that's right yeah make, make good exactly. do you do you uh, up at um, where you were mow all winter generally or do you do you actually stop? Well, if it, it all depends on the temperature. Because you've got light soil, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we've got light soil, so our sandy soil doesn't get it doesn't get really, really cold and chilly where we are. Anyhow, it's quite sheltered. Mm. So if the temperature of the soil is above 5 degrees centigrade, then grass will grow. That tends does, to be the, so the cut-off point. So we, we obviously reduce the amount of mowing we do because the temperature is cooler, so it's not growing so quickly. But we never actually put the mower away completely. Not like... <laughs> no. If you go back 20 years or so, that's what happened, didn't it? Yeah. We, they all went down to the... Psh- down to the mower repair place to have its service, it. and that was it, done. Yeah, I know. Put it in know. the shed. Yeah, we, I say it's less frequent, but we do still have to get it out now and then. What it is, though, it's, a, it's an eye-opener to what's going on out there. Those well, days. it is, yeah, yeah, exactly. And gardeners like. can see it, can't they? <laughs> they can, they can. <laughs> what's your other tip, anyway? I say I've got one final one for you, and uh, it's you need to be quite prompt for this final tip. So if you're resting on your laurels thinking all well, your work is done, maybe not. If you've got tender plants like dahlias and cannas and you're thinking about trying to overwinter them in the garden definitely have a go at it but if you're on the heavy clay soil and i know a lot of people in essex are on the heavy clay which tends to get waterlogged and chilly in the winter honestly i would still lift them and put them somewhere that's frost free in a greenhouse or shed or garage because these fleshy plants like dahlias and cannas they've got very thick fleshy roots they don't like cold wet soils and they might well rot off so if you've got some favorites and only a few of them lift them now and get them stored in a shed or a garage don't risk putting them outside yeah thank you very much indeed that's lucy with some tips on what you could be doing in the garden and that last one this week but if not in the next few weeks keith sorry to keep you waiting there that's okay what are we talking um, about? Asparagus. Good morning, both of you. Uh, this Hi, is a, a question about overwintering my small asparagus plants. Right. That I started off from scratch this, this year. Oh, this well year. Uh, and I know that, y- you know, you can't put them in yet, but I just wondered what to do for overwinter. I've got a cold greenhouse, but... Oh, so you've done it from... Please. This is from seed, yes? Uh, well, they came from seed. I think I bought them from one of the... Um, uh, Brilliant. Usual oh. garden centres or whatever. And I saw yep. them. I thought, oh, that looks a good idea. So yeah. 
Yeah, Keith, I know they take about three years for them to establish, but they're in small pots at the moment. Yeah. I transplanted them in small pots. So Good. I brought them on during the summer. Mm-hmm. They've, they've sprouted with the fern-type things. Yes. So I've cut them off, and now I've got these pots, which don't look like anything alive in it, but I expect they are. It's all buried I don't below. Know what to do with them. <laughs> Keith, you're a man after my own heart. I have also grown some asparagus from seed because the crowns can be a little bit expensive and it's quite nice to propagate it right from seed, isn't it, rather than go from the con- conventional route. You can feel a, an extra sense of pride when you fir- first harvest those spears in three or four years' time. <laughs> uh, do you remember the variety? Because I've grown one called, no, I think it's Ariane. I, I didn't bother, to be honest, I didn't bother. I just saw them. I thought, well, yeah. I'll have a go at those. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, well, I mean, they are fully hardy. So if you wanted to, you could overwinter them outside. But because they're in pots, um, it might be mm. worthwhile putting them in a cold frame just to afford them a little bit of protection yeah. from the pots freezing solid. That's, sometimes when pots freeze solid, even with hardy plants within them, the, the physical action of freezing, which basically causes the, the water to turn to ice and expand, can crush and bruise the fleshy yeah. roots. So I would, if you can, put them somewhere where they're not going to freeze solid. But they can be exposed to cool temperatures. So have you got somewhere like a, a cold frame or I, I a can, Yeah, room? I can uh, you know, manufacture one or get, uh, I can Brilliant. make do. The, yeah. the thing I worried about as well is that they seem to get waterlogged because they're only in small pots. They get waterlogged quite yeah. a lot and I was worried about leaving them over and then getting waterlogged. Yeah. So yeah. is that a problem? I think winter waterlogging is something that they would not like. So if you... Because they're in pots, they... they Did you have a cold greenhouse? Yeah, I've got it? a cold greenhouse. I've got oh. a couple, and I've got a couple oh. of those plastic <clears throat> things as well. Yeah. No, so cold I, I green... put it in there, probably. No, cold greenhouse would be the best place, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, it would be good. So. Oh, that's fine. And what about watering? Um, you do want to keep them more dry. Any, yeah, low, as I said, they've got yeah. a very fleshy root system, asparagus, and any plant that's exposed to really cold, wet soils in the winter might well rot. So yeah, uh, if you can... That. Yeah, so keep them keep them on the dry side. And if you've got them in the greenhouse, then obviously you can control the watering really easily. Yeah, so that. just keep them ticking over. And, yeah, as I say, you've now, you'll then have at least maybe next, next year you won't be able to harvest them, as in 2020. And it might be even in 2021, you're looking at the size of the spears that are coming through, thinking, hang on, they're still not quite ready. And that's the position I was in this spring. So I've had to wait again. But yeah. next year I will be there with my knife and I cannot wait to cut so, so my when, first... So would that be better to plant out in the allotment this spring or is that still too early no no you can definitely get them in the ground in the spring and then they will settle in they'll be better in the ground than in the pots yeah, because they'll so. get they'll start to get root band in the pot so put them on out in the in, onto the plot in the spring you'll as i say this this next 2020 summer you won't be able to harvest and you may find that you can do a little bit of a harvest in 2021 but if they're looking too thin just hold tight till i know it sounds in the future 2022 but then remember you'll have at least 10, 15, maybe even 20 years worth of harvest with that asparagus. So patience, definitely with this crop, is a virtue. Excellent. Thanks ever so much for your help. Good luck. Much obliged. OK. OK, then. Bye-bye there. And that's uh, Keith from Wickford. And we go to Alan in Braintree, who's given us a call. You're line free on 0800 111 4041. And a text 81333. Start the message with the word Essex. And emails ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Lavenders with Alan Ooh. from Braintree. Is that right, Alan? Lilac, actually. 
Should we go for lilac? You said uh, lavender first, did you? Yeah, I was going to say a yeah, lavender... Yeah, lavender yeah, lilac, not, not lavender. No, I was going to say a lavend, lavender trees are a little unusual, but let's go yeah, for... No, no, this is lilac. Um, and is it's it old or... five foot tall. Old or new, Alan? Sorry? Old oh, or well, new? An old one. Well, I say old one. I've had it, what, about 18 years, I suppose. OK, OK. Fine. Um, and I want, I want to move it, and I also want to trim it up. When's the best time to move it and also to trim it? Um, 18 years. What kind of soil have you got, Alan? Are you on the, old, the Essex clay, or is it a bit lighter? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah it's, it's not very good. All right. I, in, I'm only asking that because That's going to have a root and a half, isn't it? Well, 18 years old. Crikey, isn't it just? Yeah. Are you very fond of this lilac, Alan? Am I going to what? Are you very fond of it? Oh, yes. Right. OK. Because so... if not, I know what she was going to say. Dig it up, <laughs> throw it away and buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> We're just oh. establishing how fond you are of it because when you move any Huge tree or shrub, group on that. yeah, it's, there's always a risk. The older it becomes, the more risky it is going to be yeah, because yeah. of its big roots. What you could do? Have you got to? Have you got time on your side? Do you need to do this immediately, or could you wait for a couple of years? Uh, yeah, I could wait a couple of years. Uh, no, I can't. No, I can't. Right. I'm all my garden, right. and that's. Uh, got to be moved from one from That's the same. Right. So it's a winter job, yes. yes. Okay. A winter job. Just yep. to say, if you if you did have time on your side, what you could do is root prune it this winter, which basically involves taking a spade around the circle of, of the, the root yeah. system of the lilac and chopping the roots. Um, and what that does, it makes the the lilac produce oh. lots of fibrous roots, and then it's got more chance of success when you move oh. it a year later. If you can't do that and you've got to move it this winter, then um, just Try and get as big a root ball as you possibly can. Start from right. the extremities and work in. Uh, make sure you do it when the soil is wet, which I think at this time of year is going to be okay. Uh, yeah, so that's not a problem. Moment, yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't think there's any chance of it drying out. Right. And then get your planting hole dug before you move the lilac, because then it won't be out of the ground for too long and it can go right. straight into the new planting hole. But what I would say is, for the moment, don't cut it back too much, because within those woody stems is a lot of energy, a lot of food that the plant will actually call upon to try and regenerate itself. So it's obviously going to have a shock wow, that's by moving. I was just also going to... Yeah. When I, I was digging up round it, mm -hmm. I've cleared all the ground round it. Well and done. I noticed two... Uh, shoots coming up, and I said to my wife, I said, well, I don't know what they are. I said, we knew the others, and I've replanted the others that, the, that we had round it. Yeah. Um, but these two, I've, I've dug them up, and they've, they've got a long root, and I thought, I think they might be coming from that lavender. Um, the lilac. The lilac lavender. Yeah, I was keen. <laughs> I mean, lilac. Well, they do sucker. Lilacs do sucker. So it's, and if they really come off get, the roots. Yeah, if, say if the main plant dies back through because it's been stressed out, or maybe if you've gone over there with the mower and you've accidentally nicked the root, that will cause it or encourage it to produce suckers. So um, that might be what they are, um, Alan. Oh, but, uh, only I, I've yeah. got, I don't, and I've planted them in a pot. And I, oh, well I don't know what they are, but and right. then it's like, oh, so I thought, oh, perhaps it's come from that. Uh, do you know what? That's fantastic because that is your insurance policy. Should the main plant not appreciate being moved at 18 oh, thank years you, old? Young lady. Yeah. Yep. So, so good luck with that. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, let, pleasure. And Alan, let us know how it gets on in the spring, won't you? <laughs> I will indeed. Yeah. Okay and we, then. Thank all you. The, all the best. Oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one. Christine in Benfleet. Ah, oh, one of my favourite plants. You're going to be talking about, aren't you, Christine? <laughs> well, the mimosa. Mimosa. Oh, lovely. Yes. Is well, it? Yeah. Is it the one with the fur, the fern-like leaf? 
It is, it is indeed. That's Del yes. Barter, isn't it? Acacia Del Barter, yeah, lovely one. Right. Lovely. And quite hardy as well mm. in our country. Oh, yeah. that's, that's good because that's one of the reasons I'm bringing you. I um, was going to say relatively hardy because yeah, I have killed uh, one yeah. in, in the past. <laughs> not fully, so, Christine, just so don't get too excited, not fully hardy. No. Uh, no, right. Um, it's, it, when we got it, we got it in the early summer. Somebody mm-hmm. gave it to us. Um, it was only about two foot high in a pot, which we've kept it in. The pot is about 10 inches deep. Uh, 11 inches across. Ooh, small. But now, yeah. it's just over five feet tall. It will be. It's sitting outside on our patio. We've got it close to the fence so that it's protected, and it's protected by a big hydrangea. We've got potted there as well in the and the wall. But it's it's full of bud, and it's I... grown. It's splendid. We've mm. kept it going. My husband kept it watered and looked after it. So we wondered, should we move it into the cold greenhouse or leave it where it is? Are you, long term, are you going to plant it in the garden? Um, not sure whether to or not. It's in a too small a pot for something it's five foot moment, high. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. But you wouldn't repot it now anyway. You'd put it in the spring, wouldn't you? No, and you, if you hadn't got... Say, again, I, I know I go on about this, but an Essex clay soil is not great for... Border, what we call borderline hardy plants because mm. if they get cold and waterlogged in the winter if your mimosa gets waterlogged then that was more likely to kill it off so but if you've got a nice light soil where i am in fingeringhoe we have lovely sandy soil sorry to say that out loud because i know it it's <laughs> makes people envious but we have a lovely light sandy soil so it depends if you've got a nice soil christine you could as ken say get it in the ground and that would be better than having it in a pot right right however at the moment I wouldn't put yeah. it in a cold greenhouse unless we get really harsh conditions. Mm. So now, I mean harsh when you're going down to minus, what, fours, fives? Yeah, yeah, oh, that kind of right, thing. right, right. But leave it close to the house as it is, unless it like... goes really yes. minus four, minus five. And then would you say before that? I wouldn't put it in much before that, yeah. would you? And Christian, also, you say it's in full bud at the moment, and they often, often do flower, like you say, right out yeah, of January. you know, in those cool seasons when it's so valuable to enjoy them. So what you could do is when it's flowering, just move it into the cold greenhouse then, because oh, the, flowers the flowers will yeah. just be more, they'll be weatherproofed then, and you'll be able to enjoy them more. They've got a nice delicate perfume, so you, oh, you'll be able yes. to get more of a waft of that within your greenhouse. Has it branched at all or not, Christine? Yes. Oh, it has. Yes, good. Yes. That's good. It'll, it's a vigorous grower, I can tell you. You'll yep. need to prune it to keep it in oh, check. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you very much. And use Thanks. a John Innes compost when you pot it up. John Innes when we pot it up. Number three. Right. Yeah. John It'll be Innes. more stable. Okay. Lovely. Thanks for your help. Bye-bye. That's all right, Christine. They are gorgeous, aren't they? But, in fact, I can remember back to a very harsh winter. I'm showing my age a bit, but... Um, and in fact, one got killed in Lout Night. Remember, it was a huge tree. It was yeah. about the girth was like I don't know nine, ten inches across. Mm-hmm. Knocked out completely. Yeah. And resprouted from the base I and produced say, this incredible bush. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they do sucker. They do sucker. If they not, do, don't they? Because if the top growth is not back, yeah. sometimes the root system is protected by the soil. It's insulated by the soil, right. so it does and have the ability to resprout again. Yeah. Steve from Linford. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, that's right, Ken. How are you doing? We're fine. You're talking ponds today, is that right? I am, yeah. Hi, Lucy. Yeah, Hi, I Steve. Yeah, I hope you can um, help me on this one, Ken. Again, another kind of winter job, I think, isn't it? Digging a pond and certainly with the ground. Oh, you're digging now, a pond? Ah, oh, right. A little bit softer and kind of make somewhere for that water to go <laughs> that we've had kind of falling from the heavens. Good idea. Um, yeah, I'm. Um, it's actually extending a pond. I've got a small fish pond, um, one of the plastic uh, pre 
deformed ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm um, going to put in a rubber liner type pond with the uh, the car tyre manufacturer type rubber. That, uh, what, the butyl? Yeah, like the butyl, butyl? No, the, what we call the butyl, butyl rubber, lining, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the uh, location I'm putting the pond, or where I'm extending it, is across a path. And so I've seen ponds where they have like a pillar uh, of a brick or something in the middle with a slab on the top that's kind of like an island yeah. as a stepping stone in yes. the um, in the pond. And um, what I'd like to know is what they actually found that on. If you put it on rubber, right. um, do you have to kind of put a concrete base yes. on top of the rubber, rubber or how does that work? And, yes, and you do. Um, obviously, you have to work in fairly dryish conditions and not when it's pouring with rain. But, yes, you would set the base onto a pad of concrete. However, you would need to put the pad of concrete onto, say, a piece of hessian or a piece of something to protect liner. it. On, yeah. yeah, or or the underlay. Are you putting yeah. an underlay in as well? Yes. Yeah, take a bit of underlay and put the underlay in. Now, remember that it's not as stable as it would be if it was set into the ground. Sure. So if your slab can bridge that gap, it will be even better. But you're not trying to do that. You're trying to build it in the middle, aren't you? Yeah, just trying to build it in the middle. Well, if yeah, you do, yeah. you need to see that the, the pier that you're standing in, the, the slab on, has got to be quite wide you know in, yeah. in other words you don't you don't build a nine inch pier and put an 18 inch slab on the top you yeah. you make your pier nearly the same size as a slab and it will be much more secure uh-huh that's great right thank you very much for that can i have a follow-up ken of course you can yeah just um you advised me about um planting some uh, dogwoods in a wildlife uh, area of the garden uh-huh. and uh, I put them in and they've uh, they've really kind of thrived in terms of foliage and um, got some um, beginning elephant ears under, underneath as well. The thinking was I put them in a sunny-ish position that they would by now have turned red with the leaves and the beginning um, leaves as well but they're still solid green as they've been all summer. Oh. Um, are they are they late again by comparison? Now hang on. To, are we talking? This, you're talking stem colour of the corners or the begonia leaf? The begonia leaf and the dogwood leaf. Ah, oh, so the yeah. leaves. So the leaves of the dogwood are the, green. The green. leaves of the dogwood are green. What colour um, are the stems of your dogwood? The stems are a brownie red. Right. Okay. Um, That's but, normally um, normal. I, I thought they'd kind of. Um, of, of at least reddened and dropped by now, and another uh, dogwood of the same uh, batch that I bought um, in a pot has gone beautifully red, and it's it's actually located right next to them. I'm wondering whether planting in the ground has kind of delayed them um, in terms of their autumn colour, or were uh, they the same varieties? These two exactly. different dogwoods? No, exactly the same. Are the same. They are the same variety, yeah. yeah. So it Could might be that the sometimes if you buy the same variety but from different sources, you do get a tiny bit of variation. And we touched on that earlier on in the programme mm. about the Gardener's Delight tomato. You can get sometimes a little bit of variation within the variety and the trade do then try to streamline themselves and make sure that that doesn't happen too much, but it does occasionally occur. Um, I so, wouldn't have thought it was that. I bought yeah. five as yeah. bare roots and there's three Could be in ground conditions. And there's two in plant in pots elsewhere, and both of, it's the two that have gone red, and the three that haven't. Yeah, 
Yeah. Ground conditions are just different. The ground conditions ground conditions just different. It can happen. Yeah, and they say obviously the the two plants are showing different characteristics. So it's got to be something to do with ground. the ground or the root system. Whether it was maybe because if they were restricted in the pot, maybe that's caused them to because any restriction causes a bit of stress. And then that yeah. plants actually bury and colour up that little bit more. So yeah. that might be what's caused it, Steve. And am am I right that um, for the reddening and, and leaf colour uh, uh, reddening uh, kind of better is is in sun rather than in shade? Yeah, any uh, bark will. Yeah, any bark will colour up and ripen up better in the sun. And leaf does it, the same. Yeah, otherwise, the, the if they're the in deep shade, the the, the green colour tends to predominate so you don't get such a bright vibrant there's some lovely dogwoods out there with with um, bright corals like the the midwinter fire and this is it siberica that's got the Mm. really deep red stems some lovely things out there and they are excellent for winter so possibly try some other varieties but some yeah be careful with some of the varieties like mid Mid, what was it? Midwinter, midwinter fire. fire. Watch midwinter fire because you don't cut it as hard back as you can some of the traditional dogwoods. Because it's more in delicate, fact, isn't it? It's right. much more delicate. It's great stem colour, but yeah. doesn't Stunning. tolerate being hammered back by a pair of secateurs. Yeah, because other than when, um, as I say, it would have been June, July time, I think that I put them in and I uh, cut them back then. Yeah. I've not touched them since. Right. Oh. And I was going oh, to ask okay. what, what time of year would it be to actually. Uh, yeah, it's just, well, when you see the buds starting to move, Steve. So, so obviously in winter you enjoy the stem colour, and you can un- if you underplant them with things like snowdrops or um, daffodils or anything like that that will flower at the same time as the stems, giving that that lovely display in the in the late winter, early spring. That's a really nice combination to get going along with your beginnings. Mm, and then as soon the as the plan. buds do start to swell, that's when you go in there with the secateurs, and as I say, the most of them get can get cut down really hard, which is what we call pollarding and cutting them down mm. really, really hard um and others uh, as the midwinter fire is they're they're ones that you maybe would cut back well, maybe every every couple of years yeah. or so and be a bit okay. more delicate with those that's great yeah. thank you for that we'll be back to your gardening questions in just a little while but right now on the bbc Essex gardening our podcast we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden well this week and beyond lucy what you got for us well ken one of the um, first jobs I'd like to talk about today is uh, planting tulips. I love the massive big hybrid tulips, the lily flower, the parrot flowered. Um, but you also have a lot of much more diminutive but very delicate species tulips like uh, humulus. There's loads of species that you can you can choose from. And all tulips will benefit from being planted later than other bulbs because it, if they're planted early, it makes them slightly more vulnerable to a disease called tulip fire, which is rather devastating for them. So you can plant them in November. So if you've forgotten to plant your, your autumn bulbs, go out there to the garden centre, grab yourself some tulips, and you can do it this weekend. Where are you planting species plants, though? I mean, do you plant them in grass or do you plant them in borders? Uh, you, you, Some of them prefer to be baked in full sun but there are others that like to be naturalised in grass and that's the ones we specialise in at East Donnellan Hall. We've got a meadow that's about quarter of an acre large and every year we put in there at least 2,000 of these lovely species tulips that love the grassland and they flower in bits and spots. They're not like a massive big 
blousy display like the hybrid tulips are. They are much more dainty and delicate and uh, you get a much longer flowering displays. They're really, really beautiful, mustn't be forgotten about. How deep are they planted in the grassland? With us, because we're on a sandy soil, we plant them slightly deeper than you'd recommend. So maybe for these little bulbs that are only the size of maybe a walnut, we would plant those about four or five inches deep. If you're on a clay soil, you could go slightly more shallow. What you've got to bear in mind is those bulbs, they don't want to be drying out too much when they're in active growth. So on our sandy soil, that's why we plant them a li- that little bit deeper. And actually, if you plant deep, they last longer, don't they? Yeah, they do. Well. They do. All they tulips come back. Do that. that is true for all tulips, and, this, and yes, they do come back year on year on year. That's another good thing about the species tulips; they're more reliable as a perennial bulb, whereas some of the hybrids do. After the first year, their display isn't quite so good. What else you got for us then? The leaves are turning. Many have fallen. Uh, the gardener's jobs at the moment are mainly raking up leaves and trying to get them off the beds and the grass. Is it later, do you think? I, I sort of somehow feel it's a bit later, but perhaps that's all in the mind. You I don't know. know. It, actually, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it. But, yeah, they do seem a little... Like, they're hanging on for they are a, a lot longer of green time still, isn't this year. Yeah. Maybe we haven't had massively high winds. I know we've had some cold spells, which is what gets the colour mm. th- um, looking really good. But, yeah, we haven't had those gales, maybe, to, to, to get the, the leaves off the trees. But what you need to do, as they fall, enjoy the colour. Um, but then you can make leaf mould out of the fallen leaves which is this beautiful crumbly organic matter which takes quite a long time to produce the thing to do with leaf mould is to put leaves into a bag and then forget about them put them behind the shed or somewhere like that they take a long time to rot down because it's the it's fungi that tend to rot down the leaves and you then get this father it's a low nutrient but very beautiful textured organic matter which is perfect for adding to seed compost it's very fine and delicate not like the garden compost that's got all lumped in it it's lovely and fine and crumbly like a nicely rubbed in flaky pastry and it's something you can't buy yeah that's another thought you can't buy it's not in the garden center not in the nursery that's right so we should all be making our own leaf mold round about now pam from stanway has sent an email she said she's dug up a fuchsia that had blight i think she means okay Gall, the gall mite. Gall mite, which yeah. is... Oh, it's a really troublesome mite. It is a real um, problem. Yes, yeah, it seems anyway, to be immune... Oh, sorry, go on. As the RHS have suggested, and they did, didn't they, dig them up and get rid of them, mm. although others are spraying and have had some reasonable results, yeah. which is a bit of a shame because I was giving out the RHS advice to start <laughs> with and people have dug them up and thrown them away. But anyway, um, she dug... She's dug it up, but there's still some root in there, a bit of mm. root still around, which were in too deep for her to dig out. Is it OK to put another fuchsia where the other one was, or is it likely to get the same problem? Well, as That's I a underst- difficult one to judge, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, as I understand it, the mite will live on the aerial parts of the plant. So if in you, theory. In theory, Pam, like you say, dug all that away um, and removed it, the mite shouldn't then be in that area um, that local area. As long the as there's system. no leaf or shoot left yeah. anywhere, so it's cleanliness yeah. again, isn't it? Hygiene, Which is so important it in is, gardening, it is, especially isn't especially when we're being uh, all you know, the pesticides and fungicides are being um, they're, they're disappearing. Mu- they are disappearing, say. and the, the selection we have to choose from now as gardeners is, is is far smaller. So you may find that you can put a new fuchsia in that site, and it will be fine. Um, I think what we could say about this particular pest is that it's. Um, it's quite destructive. It always focuses on the growing points of the fuchsia, which is where the plant's pumping all its nutrients. That's why a lot of pests mm. will congregate on the shoot tips. Um, and then it causes them to stunt severely and distort. Horrible, and the flowers don't appear. And it is very disfiguring for fuchsias. Mm. Because it's a new pest, I think we're still learning about how to 
control it. And of course, the, the RHS have got to be very responsible in their position and, and say the the belt and base, braces approach. You're sticking up for them. I, well, I wasn't putting them down. No, it was no, just, no. But I can see in... why they why they do say yes. that. But I have also found um, that. As you say, as I think it's clear ultra out, people have been using on it and yeah. found it relatively successful. I would imagine a systemic insecticide yeah. might have com- some control. It's my understanding of systemic means that it gets into the growing points of the plant. So Any do. pest feeding on those growing points should then be poisoned by the insecticide mm. and, and be killed. So I think maybe that's why we're finding that actually some people are trying experimenting with mm. the sprays and uh, you know they might be spraying incidentally because they've got something else on the future which they're trying to control and then suddenly the mite disappears so we're all learning i know that the the spotted mm. wing drosophila which is a, a major fruit pest um the the rhs advice was to be very rigorous and to do some some very complex monitoring and um and i thought hang on i think i can break the life cycle of this pest by by, by con- covering up the the cherries we had at the hall with some environmesh and i did that and we didn't have the pest problem at all the following year so do experiment you know yeah. we're all learning well as the other as one the other one we were talking about the other week was um the box caterpillar yeah and a lot of people will just rip them out because they've defoliated they'll take them out well in I fact know. again it's another one that you can control yeah but you have to be vigorous because they can have three sets of caterpillar in a year yeah you know i have to be on top of it to eliminate them you but do. you can do it yes it's yeah. breaking, you're saying, breaking the cycle. It's under, yeah, I think if you've got the understanding of how the pests work, then you can start making educated decisions on to how you think you might be able to control it. And just as an aside, Ken, I just want to think, if you imagine if now, in the present day, we suddenly um, experience the Solomon seal sawfly oh, as yeah. a pest, say it suddenly came over and it was a new pest, how alarmist we might be in the way we say to control it, because that is a initially oh, it looks like a very destructive pest, but it only has one generation, and you find that the Solomon seal actually recovers and it comes back. It, it comes back, back next to year, yeah. and it also doesn't attack the the plant until a little bit later in the season, once the plant's done a lot of its growing. So, I, I do find that the way we talk about pests coming into the country that are new is alarming. It's quite alarming, and I think. Obviously, we've got to be responsible, but at the same time, oh, calm it down, people. You know, yeah. be a bit more um, measured about everything. Measured? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Measured. Talking of which, which month would you plant a Budlier shrub? And that's Jill in Corringham. She's sent oh, us a text. That's lovely. 8133 with Essex on the front. Now? You could do it now, Jill. Yes, yeah. Um, again, I always the, the soil is important. If you've got a nice, light, free-draining well. soil, then you can plant now. If you've got the heavy clay, say if we have a really wet winter and the plant sits in a waterlogged soil and clays are notorious for holding on to the wet, then I would maybe be tempted to leave it until the spring. But if you haven't, and you know your garden's either on a high slope and it's not going to get waterlogged or it's on free-draining soil, plant now. And don't forget that buddleias, although are generally very large plants you can get the ah. dwarf of that yeah there's one, one called, called harlequin I there's a harlequin group and yeah i think it was at budley buzz there was a range buzz. of out that i've got the a beautiful deep maroon one yep. that's in a i've got a, you a very put it in shady container s- can't you as well yeah that one that, that is my one was in container for a couple of years i've put it into a sunny border and it took it it flowered once and then it flowered again late in the season yep. it was amazing for for things like the late foraging bees them, and you? the butterflies they loved it no i didn't i didn't you just leave them don't you could do if you wanted to but i didn't and they don't grow massive and that's the important thing they only grow what three 
About this particular a one is, is about maybe a metre and a half because yeah. it is in a very sunny well, that's spot. That's controlled, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to prune it back hard in the spring as well, so that will keep this, keep it down in size. Try that, Jill, as well. There are. You've got options on Budleys as well, and they do help the environment. Don't forget, you can give us a call on 0800 4041. Hi, Ken. Morning. I've recently planted six to six, or no, sorry, six, six foot Thuya plicata <laughs> etrovirans conifers for privacy. Just a reminder that anybody, I'm going to jump in here because if you want to plant a, an evergreen hedge and you don't want to plant the land eye because the upkeep, <laughs> that is the answer. Thuya plicata. Thuyas. I must have planted loads of thuyas because <laughs> they are so, they're a super plant. Thuya plicata, sponsored by Ken Crowther. <laughs> they smell nice, don't they? You can rub the, they are lovely. Rub the, rub the, I mean, don't oh. get me wrong, they and they land eye makes an excellent screen. Needs it's, controlling. It's just because it's a hybrid, it's got massive, massive vigour. Mm. And that's why. It's a super plant. It, yeah, but it needs a lot of pruning to keep it in shape. It does. Uh, Thuya, as you say, are much more, more controllable. What was the question? Sorry about that. Should we? We'll do the question. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I've recently planted sixty six foot um, thuya plicata, and an eight foot single stem betula utilis snow queen. Ooh, That's nice. a lovely one. Yeah. As a centre feature. Do you reckon she's planted it in the middle or in front of it? I think it was in front, front of it, yeah. Been told to water every day, but <laughs> oh. we're not raining heavy. When can I stop and do I need to start watering again in spring or can they be left to their own devices? The thing is, we've now had some cold nights, so actually plants mm. are not drawing, are they? They're not taking up a lot of moisture. No, no. no. And uh, we've had so much rainfall. I, I regularly record, well, I, every time it rains, I record the rainfall at East Donnellan where I, where I work. And in September and October, we had a massive amount of rain. I think in, we normally get about 50 mil per month. That's a, a, an average month. We often get a lot drier than that. But in October, we had over 100 mil of rain. And in November, I'm tallying up, we've already had a good 40, 50 mil of rain in November. So it looks like soil moisture levels now for, for the Thuya and the, and the birch are pretty much topped up if you're local. I'm presuming this lady is local. Yes. So we don't have to worry, do we? I mean, no, no and plants are slowing down. They're just they drawing are. on less water. And, oh, and the other bit, yes, you will need to water in the spring, yeah. keep moist I for think, at least the next year. I think th people often forget that hedging plants, actually, they're planted very, very close together. And so they're competing with each other. And they do need mulching and watering in those initial years just to get them going. So, and I also, also, if you say when you're to, to recommend to people watering a certain amount of times per week or per month, it's not as accurate as saying water when the soil is drying out. Give them a good soak, really yeah. good soak. Because we get rain. Yeah, so they are. Hope that's helped you, Victoria. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. We're going to go to the go to the phones and talk to Alan in Chomsford. Hello, Alan. Hi, Ken. Uh, spoke to you the other week about my new bird table. You did indeed. I remember. So the bird, usually, uh, I took your advice and removed the old one which was next to it, and they're gradually getting used to the new one and using it. So thanks very much for the advice. It's uh, beginning to work. It's intriguing that you wouldn't expect birds to be so, you know, well, obstinate, really, because you were putting food on the new one. To anybody who didn't oh, yeah. didn't listen the other week, it's um, uh, 
Alan was putting food on the new bird table, ignoring the old one, but he left the old one in situ and they wouldn't eat. They wouldn't go to the new How one. Funny. Well, then they'd go on the old one, would they? They, they just landed on the old one, but there yeah. was no food on the old one. So they. <laughs> so you've taken Creatures it away and they're using the new one. Oh, obstinate birds in, in Chelmsford, aren't they, Alan? <laughs> I think that that's where the term bird brain comes from. Because they don't really think <laughs> nice one. <laughs> I do like it. Anyway, thank you very much, Alan, for coming back to us and letting us know. That's really interesting. Okay. All the best. Cheers. Bye. Bye. There's Alan. That's an interesting story. 0800 111 Hi, Ken. Is this a garden story? Well, I'm going to tell it anyway. Last Sunday, I found a honeybee looking dead on a yellow flower at 4pm. I put it in a, put a clear freezer bag over him, tying it in at the bottom to keep him warm. 9am Monday, he'd moved slightly. At 1pm, he'd fallen to the bottom of the bag. When I put my finger into his face, he lifted his front legs, meaning he was still alive. I took him indoors and gave him a mixture of warm, watered honey and brown sugar. At 1.40, so later, about half an hour's time, he was flying around <laughs> the clear bucket with lid. He, he, I'd put him in. I took him outside, released him, and he flew off towards the beehives a mile away in a forest at Pinewoods. I'm, I'm proud I've saved an important life we need. Sorry to, for a long text, but I had to tell someone. <laughs> Patrick! In Havering, thank you very much. That's a really good story because they are confused. Um, And in fact, it's something that Lucy was talking about diseases and pests and how we get alarmed about them. But remember that all our wildlife with changing temperatures is getting rather confused Mm. because it can be warm. I mean, just I think it was on Tuesday. It rained in the morning. We thought, oh, it's going to rain. And then suddenly you've taken your jumpers off because the sun's out and it's warm. And you think, what is going on? Against a south-facing wall or west-facing wall, the sun, when it comes out, has actually still got a lot of heat in it. So what bees often do is they'll forage, but then sometimes they get exhausted because they're with the colder temperatures or if they get damp. And obviously we've had so much rain lately, it really chills them and, and, and upsets them. And that's what that bee was doing. But if you do find a bee in that situation, the thing to do is to feed it as this lady did, honey, sugar, honey. oh sorry, Patrick, Patrick. Sugar, sugar water. That's yeah. what we do, mixed up some sugar in some water and feed it to the bee because it's lacking energy. It's like it's, you're giving it a shot in the arm of energy. It's like us having a chocolate to, bar, isn't it? Yeah, really? and then once they start flying, their bodies will, like we when we're working vigorously in the garden to keep warm, once they start sugar. flying, they will then warm up and then that's why so quickly that bee then went back to its hive. And I like to know, I like that they know where the hive was yes, over a mile away. very impressive. <laughs> that's, that's attention do, detail, Patrick. But they do, don't they? I yeah. mean, he did, and, and the bee does. Yeah, yeah. Right, we had an email here, ken.crowler at bbc.co.uk, and this is from Jordan. He and his fiance can't decide what types of flowers we can put in pots around the outside <laughs> of the caravan as we are coming into frost season. They would need to be able to withstand the winter. What can you recommend? Her favourite colours are blue, red, and mine will be pink and blue. So in fact we well, got, got blue blues. Then. We got blue twice, red once, and pink twice. Pink once. That's the secret to a relationship, Jordan. You've got the compromise, and yes. you've got the blue there. They so got you, the blue you've, you've to got jo- the potential to do now, it. Now what he's not saying is whether these are annuals or whether he's planting up boxes and, and things like that. Yeah. Or whether they're actually. Um, yeah, it's difficult to know, isn't it? 
It is, but I mean, we were talking earlier on about winter flowering bedding plants. So colourful, aren't they? Violas and pansies will give you that colour. You could put blue hyacinths underneath. Exactly, yeah. And you've got things like bellis, which is a lovely pink colour. When it goes, the thing is for the red, you might then want to combine your your flowering bedding plants with something like a, a shrub, like a bearing shrub, like a skimmia. As long as you get the, the female shrub that's got the berries, then that will look really, really lovely and it will give you a long display through the winter months as well. And I've seen in garden centres there's a dwarf photinia that's only about oh, six, lovely. seven inches high, that which has got work. lovely red leaf on it at this time. Well, it's I been grown saying, for this time of the year. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And that's like a pinky red. And yes. I think they did say, didn't Jordan <clears> say that his the colour, the favourite colours are pink for pink, him red, and, and both blue. Uh, yes, yeah. So you're covering both options there. I like to be tulips. You know, underplant yes, with tulips. tulips would be you very like nice. tulips, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of things for the winter as well, though. Uh, well, you're going to have to use heathers that we mentioned. Heathers before. are very good for the pinks. Yeah, and like I say, for for tr- for true reds, I would go for some berries. Um, and like I say, I mentioned skimmias. You might even be able to buy some dwarf uh, hollies, and then you could plant them out somewhere could later yeah. in the season. I do find when you're buying. Um, plants for containers if you're buying shrubs it's always good to bear in mind if you can buy something that you can then plant out later into the garden mm. or if you haven't got your own garden you can maybe give it to a friend or a local you're not uh, wasting club. it are you no because they are quite a lot of money mm. and you don't want to then th- we don't want to be throwing these things away you want to try and allow them to grow on year on year on year so maybe some nice um evergreen grasses or sedges would look lovely in there as well I thought we dealt with um, Anne from Shuriness, but we've answered her as well because oh. um, she says, what could you buy in hanging baskets? But I thought we did that one. That was um, right at the start of the we show. We did, didn't we? So I don't know why she's still up there. So anyway, hi, good morning. I can't listen this morning, but we'll listen to the podcast. Oh, I've had a, a Musa palm. So that's banana, isn't that's it? A, yes, the Musa, yeah. Yeah, it's not really a palm. It's, ban- but it's it, a banana. It's a banana. Yes. Uh, it's looking sorry for itself. It's outside, leaves are hanging. It's hard, hardy enough to go through the winter with fleece protection. Mm. Will the heavy rain we've had recently cause the leaf to drop? They... Because they're a wide leaf. They're just a big paddle leaf, they aren't get, they? Pfft, they get tattered. Knocked down and yeah, tattered. At this you time of can't year. Can't worry, can you? No, I mean, no banana at this time of year is going to look lovely and in full growth. They're, they're going to have slowed down and they're, they're, the, the cold will um, will cause some, some browning and the leaves get tattered in high winds. So um, you've already understand that you need to put protect the plant through winter with fleece and maybe some some bubble wrap as well just to keep it nice and protected and move it somewhere sheltered in the spring it might have died down and it will like either sucker or the main central comb will actually produce some new leaves and it will start looking lovely by june july august that they're not fast year. to react in the no, spring are they're, they? they're a lovely <clears throat> plant for a, a late season border they're not a spring plant um they're one to maybe put aside in a spot that's not really too prominent in the garden for the early spring months but once they come into full leaf by the time it, we get into the late summer they're really spectacular muses and insetes beautiful tropical lovely paddle leaf plants aren't they there's one in um that i keep an eye on in um in a, a preschool um place in in central chelmsford mm. and <clears throat> it's planted behind some plants behind sort of in the corner yeah and that's grown from something like nine inches nine well maybe it was a foot high yeah and it's now the top of the fence in a year but wow it's, you just said they love being protected and in, they in do. a 
you can grow them in a city garden. I know Mick Lavelle has uh, Mick and Christine Lavelle. They've mm. got bananas in their garden in Colchester. Same thing. It's a protected in-town garden. Yeah, my banana at the moment, and I've got some in cities too. But they're more. They're, you're more exposed, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, mine are in a, a cool uh, but frost-free greenhouse for the winter, and then in the spring, I will late spring. So I'm not talking till about May. I will then get them back outside again. So I hope that helps you, David, in fearing. Um, don't worry. Protect it in the winter is the gist of it. Yeah. And, and then With in the spring, fleece. Yeah, take the, take the fleece and covers off as things warm up in the spring. And do check it periodically in the winter as well in case it gets a bit too damp and soggy. Um, and then cut the tired foliage off um, in, as it comes into new growth in the spring and off you go. We've had a note from Christine in Rayleigh. And Christine says, I have two dwarf syringa lilacs, red pixie, which have become leggy. Right. When is the best time to prune and reshape them? Lilacs. Yeah. Lilacs, they flower They don't like, and they don't like being pruned much, do they? I have renovated a couple, but they tend to sucker and take a long, uh, quite a a while to recover. They're not like, say, a willow, where you can cut it back really hard and they they come in together really vigorously. But you can renovate lilacs. They do flower on last year's wood, so if you want to try to keep the flowering display, Christine, cut them back as soon as they finish flowering in late spring. If you're happy to lose the flowers for a year, it would be better if you could prune them really early in the spring, so say March, because then they've got the whole growing season to recover. So you've got two options there. Two options. Two options, depending on how keen you are on the flowers. Yeah. And I always think it's uh, people try and really prune back very old lilacs very hard and they they don't like it do they when they're very old they take a time they like i said they don't spring back into life they will do it but it just sometimes takes takes maybe a a couple of years so you have to be quite patient patient with them patience that's what gardening's about hi ken i have a six-year-old christmas tree in a pot outside in same position in a 24-inch pot where some branches have begun to discolor it's against a fence in a fairly open position, was regularly watered in summer, less so in winter. What could be the cause, please? What, I don't know who it's from, but they're not saying that they're feeding it. Yeah. People forget yeah. that evergreens actually need feeding as well, don't they? Especially if it's in the pot, and it's been in the pot for quite a few years, hasn't mm, it? Six so, years. Yeah, which is so... Well, it doesn't... Yes. Yes. Same yeah. position. So, it, and if it's if it mentioned also a slightly exposed site, and evergreens can sometimes get um, their their needles, especially, can dry out if they're in a very exposed, windy site, because the wind can actually dry out the leaves of evergreens. So, maybe move it somewhere sheltered, and as you say, can give it a good feed. It needs good liquid feed, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, something like a maxi crop or yeah. a, a good nitrogen feed. But I love the, the fact that they've kept it going year on year for their Christmas display. Well, that's well a, done. A, a, a real. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say a real saving of money as well because you haven't got to go out and buy one each year, have you? No, and they are a little bit pricey. I'm just going to mention that. Are you? Yeah. Pricey Christmas trees? Why is that? I think so, the pot-grown ones. (laughs) (laughs) You're not grumbling about Christmas trees already, are you? Well. (laughs) Anyway, Lucy, (laughs) thank you very much for coming in (laughs) today. If you missed any answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us... Give us a call next week, before 11 o'clock preferably, on 0800 111 and be part of the programme. Yes, the gardening phone in every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. 